Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, fellow founders, business builders, and friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a real treat for you. Moto means the, the way in Italian, and co-founder of Moto Moto Agency, Moira Vetter, has become quite accustomed to showing Inc. 5000 companies the way. After holding every possible position in an agency, she ventured out and started her own in 2007. Since then, Moira and the team have built one of the most respected agencies in the country, serving over 200 firms, from Fortune 10 companies to high-growth ventures. Motomoto has made the Inc. 5000 list three times, and Moira Vetter has more awards herself than we can name. She's won the AMA Marketer of the Year Award and the Enterprising Woman Entrepreneur of the Year Award, to name just a few. Moira means business. To my fellow founder listeners, you need to check out Motomoto Agency, and you're going to want to lean in for this time with Moira Vetter. Moira, welcome to the podcast, friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, welcome. We doing all right today in the midst of this uh, crazy world we're finding ourselves in? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm happily at the office. So uh, I, I like it news. here. I've, I've been missing it here. That's good news. Yeah. So just for uh, context sake, we're at the, uh, the end of August right now, depending on when this, when this podcast comes out. And uh, man, we're, some of us are getting to go back to the office some, and depending on where we are, still not able to. So what a weird world we find ourselves in. Yeah. Um, let's back up a little bit. We always love to just kind of get a a story, uh, an insight into how we got to where we are today, right? So can you take us back to uh, maybe the series of events that led up to you starting Moto Moto and what led into that? How did this whole thing get kicked off? Yeah. So um, I'm uh, famously long-winded, so I'm going to try to do the short version of this. You do whatever Uh, version you want. Good. Um, But Everything starts with um, my parents owned a small business and, um, you know, I can't even start with my professional career without going back to, I began running register in my uh, parents' business, a pharmacy when I was seven years old. Um, And so I would take the bus home from school to the pharmacy uh, and I would work with both my parents in the evening. And at at such an early age to understand business as a a piece of the fabric of community to understand that the family unit with business could, you know, uh, work together um, has really, I think it just provided me with a sense of um, ownership and accountability and a um, maybe a comfort even with, you know, a lot of people are seeking this balance where they get to turn off uh, work and or toggle over to life. And I've never separated the two. Um, So especially as an entrepreneur where you don't get a clean separation, uh, you know, it it just has always worked naturally for me because that's how I began. Um, And in terms of the agency, um, I had multiple positions at different companies Um, coming up in Atlanta. I worked at a tech startup and then I worked at another very successful agency um, here in Atlanta for about eight years. And uh, had a couple of other positions. I tried to start my first agency during the dot bomb 
And I was doing marketing <laughs> for technology companies when all the technology companies were going out of business or if they were staying in business, they stopped doing marketing. Um, so I really, I, I got that great entrepreneur first flat on your face fail, uh, which, you know, really helped me when we decided to, uh, you know, start Moto Moto because I, I already had a sense of what I wanted to replicate from past businesses that were successful. Sure. And then I had the mistakes of my own first venture um, to draw on. So uh, we started Moto in 2007 and it really has been wonderful because it started not as something I had to do or a paycheck I was trying to replace, but really something I was trying to design uh, based on my past experience, um, and it has continued that way. It's really a blueprint for a vision of how an agency can be um, yeah. and how, you know, it can support others and everything. So, you know, by design, it's been great. And that design shifts every minute of every day. You brought up that we're in August of 2020. You know, every day is new right now. Um, so, you know, we just continue to reinvent ourselves as we go. Yeah. So I'm curious at, you know, there's a few different ways you can start a business. You can, you can start a business either uh, creating a whole new category, serving a need that no one's serving, or you can do what you're doing, which is take an existing industry and reimagine it, right? So when you came in starting Moto Moto, what were a few of the, maybe the backbones of your main premise, right? We're all making a hunch when we start a business. We yeah. have this hunch that this could go this way and that would be very valuable, what were some of those hunches you were making about how this company could be different and maybe serve in a unique way or get results no one else was getting? What were some of those thoughts going into it? Yeah, I think that, you know, at least if you read Inc. Magazine, you know, there, there is a lot of coverage of category creators or <clears throat> the first time somebody's ever done one of these businesses. But I feel like by and large, People in business <clears throat> that are successful, there, there is so much of the world that is not new, that is a better take on something. And for me personally, um, I had nearly 20 years into the agency space when I started Moto. Um, so there really was, I had a lot of experience with already more than 100 clients and in several agency environments. So it made sense to me to kind of continue innovating in a category that I knew right. <clears throat> as, as to trying to create something new. But one of the, uh, one of the things that was going on in, and it's still going on, but one of the things that was, um, I think was, I noticed a rub at the time we started Moto Moto. <clears throat> there, there have been over the last, you know, 70, 80 years, there's been an evolution of the agency space, right? It was traditional, it was big broadcast advertising and marketing, um, you know, into radio. And then as technology came on board, you know, and with the internet, there was a shift in how you connect with your customers, where you connect. Um, and what I was noticing in 2007, there was such a focus on digital, on the pipes and the channels. Um, and everyone was focused on the means of delivering and connecting the message. Mm. But in a lot of companies, and we primarily serve very large B2B companies or complex businesses. And in those companies, there are still all sorts of common 
uh, problems like um, misalignment, overcomplicating uh, the story of, of their product benefit, um, you know, complex buying processes where if you have a very high ticket item um, product, you might have a whole buying committee, right? And so the committee purchase process is very complicated. So in that environment, um, how you deliver a message and what that message is, is not a singular put it in the pipe and it'll get there. It's, it was not just about the mediums used. Um, yeah. and so what we did as we started out, there were a lot of companies that were going to management consultants uh, and maybe high level branding companies to do a part of the work. And then they were hiring a lot of specialists to help with delivering the message, you know, the technologists, the digital media people, you know, the media people um, and all of that. And, and this is something we continue to see and we continue to help clients with. There's a disconnect when you go one place for the people to do all the thinking and then you go to another place or perhaps in-house to do the doing. Yeah. Um, and that context that's lost in the middle is not only context lost for the agency or the communications people doing that work, but your own team internally loses context about why you're doing what you do. Um, and so our model has really been one of uh, we are business thinkers who are excellent creative execution people. Um, and we can, you know, you don't have to go one place for the thinking and then come to somebody to make it great and creative. You can work with a single partner who can understand and help you to the place where the strategies are clear um, and then do really great creative work to get there. Oh, I love that. Um, so, man, I've got several directions I want to go. One, before I forget, is that you started the company in 2007. Yep. And here we are in 2020 in the middle of, of something un you know unique in the pandemic, but not necessarily unique in the fact that we have a recession. Yep. And you started a company one year before the 2008 uh, recession started that lasted several yep. years, right? Yep. Yep. What was that like? What was that like being one year in and hitting yep. that challenge in the market? Uh, yep. And then now being here again, are there any... Are there any well, lessons learned? And well, I would say it's it was very familiar then because, as I said, I started my first agency in the dot bomb. So mm. uh, I already, I, I will say, I, I worked in technology and I've worked in the agency space when we had some other dynamics in the economy in the '90s. And then when the dot bomb happened, that was the first time that it happened when I was a business owner and I understood mm. right there's. There's this arm's length thing that happens when there are economic problems that maybe my wages will be depressed or I won't have access to things or prices will go up and down, but there's still a lot more arm's length than when you are owning a business oh, yeah. and you see business plummet or you see costs rise or you don't have access to labor, you know, all of those things. Um, and so having lived through that already in the dot bomb, I was in a much better position in, in 2008 when the, uh, you know, what started hitting the fan um, to bootstrap. Uh, and it really was a product of a, a lot of stars aligned. I had the right first clients to help me sustain that. I had trusted people on my team that 
already knew me. I brought in people that I knew. So they were wanting to weather the storm with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't have both of those, if you don't have a team that's ready to hunker down and go through the storm with you, and you don't have clients that are willing to work with you in that regard, you're not, you're probably not going to make it through. But we had both of those. Um, And by the time we got into 2009, um, I I will tell you, we started at the the tail end of 2007 and we hit a million dollars in revenue in our first year. So we really came out of the gate fast with big key accounts. uh, And we were lean and mean and, you know, we did not spend on anything we did not need to spend on. Um, the challenge, however, uh, and this is the part like, is there a lesson learned? What I hate about the fact that 2008 happened in that first year, right when we were experiencing that early, um, you know, boost of growth and success, because the economic conditions came down and we um, took a stance of caution, right, and conservatism about our growth. I think it got trained into us. And so, you know, in those first three years where you have an opportunity to take risks, right? You know, to try a whole bunch of things, you know, we were already in being safe mode and it did impact our ultimate trajectory. Like mm. we might be two to three times the size we are now if in those first three years we did not have to uh, pump the brakes. Yeah. Man, that's super interesting. I also, I'm, I'm in- curious about and we'll come back to what you just said i'm also curious about what it was like for you to lead the team during that time right like we're, we're so we are coaches for um executives and leaders of fast growing companies yeah and this isn't a really this is a really testing time of their leadership yep. and it's different it's a different context to lead in yep um so but you realize your people are more important now than ever because resources are getting small maybe the team got smaller like people are having to do more they're having to buy in with maybe delayed uh delayed rewards in a yep. sense yep when you look back like what was some of the what was some of the keys to, to that team being healthy and functional and you being a leader in that context yeah uh i have to say and that's gonna sound woo woo but we really loved each other right so mm. the people that i brought in we got a kick out of each other, right? We knew in a very familial sense, I know what was wrong with you and I know what's right with you and I love it, right? And in the way that you are with a sibling and you can't imagine them without the flaws because you know you, you really focus on the parts of them that are, that are magic and that only they bring. And I feel like you know, this is one of the areas that I think the strain is coming out right now If you have a newer team that you don't know as well and you're pushed into a remote environment and you don't have a way to connect those people in where you know the human being, not the resource, um, it's really hard. It's harder right now, right? It's, It's hard for everybody, but I think it is less hard when you know and like and trust each other. Yeah. Um, and so even for us, we do have some newer people on our team, but we have a tremendous amount of longevity on the team. And so for us, the people who have had experience hunkering down with each other before 
we know how to do that. And we're trying to bring that to the newer people so that they yeah. feel, you know, you can feel safe right now. Yes, this is freaky, but we've hunkered down before and we know how to go through that and we'll come yeah. out the other side. Yeah. That word that you use safe is, is huge. And I was thinking about tying it to even that, that word you're using around love. Um, Harvard study that's been popularized by Google is talking about, Hey, psychological safety is what your team needs to perform at a high level. Yep. For us, we actually established a value internally because we found the magic that Drew and I had together working together. This helped us kind of launch and get that early momentum was all around what we, we just said, we think the words love yep. and we defined it as fighting for the highest possible good until it's a reality. Yep. And we just thought that we, we felt like, Hey, one of the things that we needed to establish was this word is okay. And this word actually at, at times uh, has an aggression towards making sure that we have the conversations we need to have yes. or that everybody can be okay in their own skin and yep. nobody has to feel like they, they can fake it. Yeah. Uh, but I am curious because this is something that we're trying to not necessarily, you don't have to buy into our value of love. If you're working with us, it's like, that's yep. not what you need. That's, that's for us. We, yep. we do actually let our clients know initially, like, hey, here are our value sets yep. to see if there's strategic alignment. Yep. But the psychological safety is 100% something that we're going to try to create yep. in that team. And you're right, like engagement is, is something that is, is a metric that many companies are tracking that we will start talking about yep. to help kind of navigate this journey. That's likely something that they know about. They know that it has to do with their dollars and cents. Yep. And then we're trying to drive that towards creating psychologically safe environments. I, I want to lean into what you're talking about on that new team member. Like, yep. hey, as you add new people, how do you get them up to speed with the culture or with being okay in their own skin? Like another one of our values that you probably align with because of what you guys have to do is, is be brilliant as one of ours. Mm -hmm. Because every time we show up as a coach, we got to be brilliant. Like we, yep. we can't hide it. We can't be falsely humble. But the same is true in your your place. Like you guys are paid for brilliance. You guys are yep. paid for thinking yep. uniquely. So how do you get people from like, they were brilliant over here in that wherever you found them from. And now they're with you. They need to be safe and brilliant really, really fast. Yep. What have you found? What little secrets? Yep. Well, the secret is that it is a two-way street, right? You can't make somebody brilliant in a new environment. They have to feel safe to find themselves that. in the environment, right? That's great. And it is a two-way street because they can't be afraid to tell you if they don't feel brilliant. They also can't be afraid to tell you if they need resources or help, yeah. right, yeah. to get comfortable. And you have an obligation to be candid, right? And I think that's one of the things that's probably the most hard for everybody right now. There's a lot of walking on eggshells, there's a lot of people's nerves are afraid and you don't want to be insensitive and you want to give people flexibility, but it does not remove the, the need and the responsibility to level with people. Right. Mm. And, you know, I, I feel like, um, you know, on one hand, I've done this a long time. So I'm definitely, you know, one of the more seasoned people in our company and part of it, and, and it's not being arrogant about it, but it is sharing the history and the experiences of the, the things that we have been through in the past or I've been through in the past and that I've seen people live through in the past 
that have parallels to today, right? There's, a, I've certainly never been in an experience like this, but there are aspects of the impact this has on teams, the impact it has on the uh, economic conditions with our clients that are familiar. And there's one thing which is sharing what you know. And then there's the other thing, which is helping people find their traction, find themselves in this reality. And uh, I, you know, again, I'm sure we've all watched so many podcasts and webcasts and everything while we've all been remote. And I think there's a danger of being too surface about forced social activity, uh, saying all the things that everybody wants to hear and not saying any of the things, uh, you know, that, that people need to understand maybe new, new realities. And I don't want to call them new normal, but, you know, new stuff that's happening that absolutely is going to affect the day to day. Um, because when you dance around those things and you aren't candid, you do not contribute to that safe environment because right. you're not being honest about the conditions that exist. Um, so I think that's really critical, um, and, it, and it does take, you know, again, you're focused on Inc. 5000 companies, you're focused on leaders. Leaders know how to be honest, mm. find where to be encouraging, but also understand they have to challenge people still. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and I'm still working through the balance of that because, and I think the, the being remote really brings this out because it's almost like you have an individual tunnel to each, right? There's the collective that you often have when you're in your live environment, but you also have this more intimate one-to-one, square-to-square, pipe-to-pipe, whatever, with each of the individuals. And it is not that the company is experiencing this in these conditions. It is right. each of these people has a different pressure point is being tested in a different way. You know, one person may have uh, a person in their family that has compromised health and they are going through one kind of psychological thing. Uh, one person may be a complete social maniac that doesn't even exist in an inner world. They only exist through <laughs> their, you know, expressions and engagement with other people. Um, you know, another person may be somebody who needs a lot of validation and clarification and they're not getting that and i think it's really important to not think of this sort of amorphous here's how the group is struggling yeah and yeah. sort of pick apart okay let's say you are the owner and you're looking at your management team okay so i have these six managers these six managers four of them don't have any issues with the health stuff uh uh, or, or let's say one of them doesn't have this, but all four of them are dealing with this component of it, right? Maybe it's the, we don't get to see face-to-face, -face, uh, you know, so they're not feeling connection. You got to break apart all those little mini issues so that you're working on the right one, right? Yeah. And, and so that's what I think the greatest challenge is to not take the latest article, the latest blog and the latest podcast and sort of oversimplify to, here's what is the problem right now. And everybody listen to it and we'll talk about it. And then magically that's going to solve it some way. You, you've mm. got to understand one-to-one -one what is happening in your company with the individuals that you rely on to grow it and drive it. Man, which 
one, that's brilliant. So you're speaking, you're speaking all of our, our love languages here, um, valuing the people. I mean, we, we specialize in talent optimization. So that's, what we're, that's really what we're in is we, we love to see people thrive. Yep. And we believe when people thrive, the organization thrives. When the organization thrives, the customers thrive. Um, and so how do we do that, right? And one of the things you're talking about is a tool we use. It's called the Support Challenge Matrix, right? That basically you have to calibrate a relationship between being challenging, which results in having goals, deadlines, things you expect of people, yep. while also right there with it, having support, which looks like resources, relationship, care. Yep. And most leaders tend to be on one side or the other, yep. right? And yep. so you'll, you'll be overly supportive, but you never really bring challenge. Yep. And so you've got kind of a lethargic culture. You've got people that are entitled. You've got people not really pressing and doing hard work. Yep. Or you're the other one. You're like the old factory days and yep. people are dying, right? And your turnover is high and they're burnt out. Yep. Um, and the other thing you said I thought was interesting is I think we, we unknowingly have a false dichotomy and that we feel like we either can speak the truth or we can be loving. Mm-hmm. And I think you can speak the truth in love, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not one or the other. We're like, well, if I speak the truth, I'm not gonna. That's that's not loving. Right? I feel like that's gonna be misunderstood, or I can just love the person and understand them. It's like, well, hold on. If you really love them, you will also be candid. You will treat them like an adult and have an honest conversation, yeah. and you can work through whatever you're, whatever you're 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 conversing about, right? Yeah. Um. So that is yeah. unbelievable. I will I'm say all- this. Too, for, for people that have younger teams, um, I think there is something that happens in the first 10 years of your career as you're, you know, you, you go into a company and now I'm a grown up and I do the grown up thing and I have the job thing and oh my God, I have to keep doing this for the rest of my life and I'll get summer break. And you go through these periods of basically integrating into the idea of work to wanting to have more responsibility or management or leadership to being able to actually own that, right? And and to be successful in that. And I find that in that sort of 20 to 30 decade, um, being candid has additional layers of challenge depending on where these people are on that path to maturity, being comfortable in their skin, wanting to be a bigger contributor versus wanting to be a producer that's expert at what they do. Um, And I think, you know, it's just like when you're asked to pick a a college, you know, major, nobody knows, right? You don't know till you do it. And I think it's similar when you get into work. Well, I don't know, do I want to be a manager or do I want to be the best person at this particular thing? I don't know what's the right answer. And, And that it takes a while for them to have enough experience and to try enough things to, to feel like what they 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 want to be, and I have found uh, because I am a parent now uh, that a lot of younger people get really offended when you use the the parallel of parents telling children, you know, establishing boundaries and yeah. setting expectations, and absolutely doing it from love, because then they they think that you're you know trying to be in a parental way, right? Yeah. But, but there is absolutely a direct correlation between, um, you know, you, you, you have a responsibility to your children. Not only do you want them to succeed, you have a responsibility to help the child succeed by being honest yes. and providing support. And again, maybe this is because I was seven years old running register in the, in the company with my parents, but 
it is equally true that everybody on my team, I, I, I love them and I feel a responsibility that they need to know the things that they do that could stand in their way or that if they could turn them on their side, could escalate their, their growth path and also to know what those resources are that they need, you know, from me or from the organization. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you even talk about parenting, so we're both in, in early parenting years. Yeah. Uh, Jordan has a son who's, um, what? 22 months, 22 months, three months. Coming up. Yeah. <laughs> and then I've got three kids that are seven, five and three. Yeah. And so we're in those early years. Right. And so the research that's been surprising and helpful for us is that boundaries letting the kids know what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what we do, what we don't do, what's dangerous, what's safe, actually creates psychological peace. Yep. And it creates safety. It sounds, right. and they, even the feedback from them sounds like the opposite because yep. they're pushing. And one of my friends who's a brilliant pediatric doctor was like, that's normal. Like that's how they find the boundaries is by pushing the boundaries. Yep. And he's like, what really freaks them out though is when they push for the boundaries and don't find any. Yeah. And he said that actually creates anxiety in a child when they can't find boundaries, when they don't know what is wrong or what they can get away with and what they can't. Yeah. And that was actually really helpful for me because I came from maybe, you know, that more old school approach of similar yeah. to you or like, I knew exactly what the boundaries were. Yep. And I knew what the consequences were, right? And we've kind of evolved, like people keep evolving, but we, we were never meant to evolve past that. We were just yeah. supposed to do that better, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of went the opposite way of like, all right, I, I'll talk with my kids about everything. I'll be you know, more calm and try to be relaxed on consequences. And I realized I was creating, especially my seven-year-old, I'm already starting to realize we've created some anxiety in her yeah. around not being clear and consistent yeah. on what you can do and what you can't do, right? Yeah. And so I'm having to re-lean back in and we're seeing the same thing in business with millennials coming up. Yep. And it's like, man, the, the tail starts wagging the dog. Yep. Right? Where it's like, they start making demands on where the company goes and how they're treated. And yep. it's like, okay, we want to move towards listening yep. and fairness. And it's like, totally. Yep. Yeah. This is a business yep. with metrics yep. and performance that matters. And if this doesn't work, no one gets paid and no one eats. And like, yep. man, coaching is still coaching. Like we're here to get yep. the best out of you. Right. Yep. Um, so I'm just curious at how you've navigated that with your experience. And I'm sure you've got a, probably a broad, uh, array of, of age groups that work for you yeah. and backgrounds. Like what's that like for you to bring both the support and the challenge? Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a direct answer to that question and you might need to tweak me on it in a minute, but I, but when you just said that it, it reminded me of a conversation we had to have a couple of years ago as a company. And this isn't a, you know, again, I, I think I oversimplified everything to the millennial versus whatever, millennial right, versus right. Summer, millennial versus, you know, all of that. It, I think, again, I kind of look at it as the maturity curve of people. Um, but if you don't know, um, you know, in the advertising and marketing arena, um, you know, it is a high stress environment, right? Cre creativity pushing the boundaries, um, you know, all of that can be um, objective as well as subjective, right? If you've supported it with the right things, but you take risks, right? You push people's buttons, you try to take them further. Mm. Um, and in so doing, there is a natural tension that exists between customers who are 
comfortable in their safe spaces who need to get the word out and creative people who feel you need to be more risky or different in order to connect and, and hear. And so when you have people that are representing the case of that client and the creative people that are pushing for that end consumer, you have tension yeah. that is created, okay? And to get to good work, you have to be able to exist where there is a rub, there is disagreement, and sometimes there is chaos. And once everybody lives through it, then all this great work comes out and it's beautiful and it performs, but the process of getting there can be really messy. And so a few years ago, we had this period of time where I noticed there was a bubbling up of all these, you know, um, this is probably an offensive way to put it, but I, I sensed that everybody wanted a big kumbaya fest, right? All yes. harmony. Why can't we all just get along? Can't we just nicely take in the requests and nicely move them through and happily hand it back over? And why can't we be more at peace with each other? And I think... And, and you could tell there were certain people in the group at the time that thought once this has been outed, it will be apparent that we need more harmony. And the response from management to the group was, we need to protect conflict in our environment because it is a key component yeah. to product. And so there is a respectful way to deal with disagreement and chaos and conflict but our goal is in fact not to remove it from the organization come on because that's where the match gets lit right yeah yeah and so i remember having that conversation and they're really being kind of this dazed oh my could is it true that there could be something productive that comes from conflict yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and even talking about our expectation is not that you learn to be conflict free, but that you learn to be expert at navigating conflict yeah. and struggle. And, and I think on the flip side of that, too, and this is kind of a little bit like the grief curve, which is accepting you've signed up for that. If this is the industry you want to be in, right? Am, am I really this person that really wants peace and I want everybody to get along? Well, there might be another industry that's yeah. better for you because this is a full contact sport kind of business. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to thrive here, not that there aren't some places in the organization where you're not doing head-to-head -head combat every day, but, you know, <laughs> by and large to be successful coming up, for instance, through the account service function, you know, you will, you will be a success and you will become a leader by mastering that, not eliminating conflict. Yeah. I love that. I love this. One thing I was thinking about earlier as you were talking about like, Hey, maybe I'm not dying. Maybe I'm getting stronger. Mm -hmm. Like just yep. that sense of it's the same thing. Like when you're doing exercise or whatever, you know, the trainer's taking you through something and you're like, just one more rep. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I might die if I do one more, yep. but then you realize it's actually, I I'm doing the one more because I'm actually getting stronger. Yep. And then that time where you, you actually watch your progression. I think that's interesting. And then also, um, man, it, I really would credit my father for teaching me the lesson early because I am somebody who probably is personally wired up for harmony. Uh -huh. But I played, he, he literally put me in sports where you had to, to physically, you know, you were going to be confronted with someone opposing you, right? You were going to have to compete. And it was so helpful because 
he ends up teaching me this lesson that actually harmony ends up trumping unity every single day. And that's a big problem mm-hmm. that actually unity and harmony aren't the same. And yep. what, what our company needs or what our team needs in, in my younger years, we need unity. And that is actually going to be, it's going to be formed through the fire, right? And typically in the fire, there's going to be some conflict. The harmony is actually deceptive. The yep. harmony is nice and it's nice when it's there and that's a good yep. thing, but it's actually deceiving. It's yep. the unity that we really want. And I love that thinking of like, Hey, you know what? Striking a match. Like yeah. essentially like how does a fire get lit? Yep. It gets yep. lit through two surfaces rubbing yeah. against each other, yeah. creating a fire. <laughs> and go, tell oh, that keeps us warm. That cooks our food. That's like, that's yep. the thing that provides all the magic. Yep. One is how do we get unity too, right? So yeah. one of the traps that we see is people assume we all have subconscious assumptions, right? Yeah. But we don't realize we're assuming the cheap way and the easy way, which is not the best way. Yeah. And so we'll assume unity requires uniformity. Yep. And that diversity equals division. Yep. And it's like, no, no, no. Like yep. I know those sound and they even group well, diversity, division, unity, uniformity. Yep. But it's like, especially in a creative industry. Yep. Uniformity is not what you want. Like no. that creates monotone. That creates bland. That creates gray, right? So it's like real unity. The reason why we have to have disagreement is because it invites in the yeah. diversity of opinion, the diversity of personality, and yeah. it's the difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Yep. Peacekeeper just avoids sh- shit. Yep. A peacemaker yep. brings it all in and says, together, this is going to make something awesome, right? Yeah. And that's what you guys have done, which is really cool, especially, I'm sure it's, it's protected that creative voice in your company. Yep. It's like, if we can be adults about this, yep. and if we can put our you know, big boy and big girl pants on yep. and not take things personally, then we can actually have this be a creative engine yep. for our company. Um, so I, I want to pivot just a little bit because we yeah. could geek out on this aspect all yep. day. <laughs> Behind you, I, I tried to count and I lost count, are what looks like at least 30 awards, yep. right? Yep. So you guys are clearly kicking ass at what you do. Yep. What would you say, and this is kind of a creative question, like what would you say is the real reason behind all of the accolades and the success that your company has had that's, that's represented behind you? Like, is it team? Is it culture? Is it your strategy? Is it? It's just good marketing, man. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) What would you say is like, man, this is the real thing. I, you know, again, I'm thinking about your audience for this podcast or Inc. 5,000 people and- And uh, they're business builders, people that want to be there one day. Yeah, or, or yeah, or that want to move from Inc. 5,000 to, you know, blue chip, right? Yep, I want to yep. be in 500 company. Um, there is not one thing that led to those. To me, it is the all the disciplines that are necessary. It is the right clients doing the work it is the diligent focus on the full diversity of kind of work, which these represent every category and kind of marketing. So we have a proof point for mm. full service. Um, it is a commitment to um, being accountable. So we have both the awards that are beauty contest awards, right? That are based more on the aesthetics. And we have the nitty gritty, crunchy, you know, ugly performance oriented things. Even the trophies are ugly, right? It is not about what it looked like. It was about what it did. Mm, Um, And it also, and this, this, again, this is an an Inc. 5000 mentality. It's like the lottery. You got to play to win. 
You don't win these awards if you don't enter the awards. And if you don't do anything award worthy, you won't have anything to enter, right? It, it all takes mm-hmm. the discipline of continuing to try to have, whether it is award winning or growing and expanding, whatever it is, better and better clients whose case studies and experience that you derive from them help you facilitate more of that. And then ensuring that you're getting recognition for that and using it to fuel your growth. Mm. And, And that's what to us, the awards are not for ego. The awards are for validity yeah. or uh, clarifying the diversity of the offering uh, across category. They are to show longevity. Um, you know, we, we jokingly say we've won an award every 15 days that we've been in business because that's sort of how it averages out now. We're almost at, what are we? Are we at 200 something? Anyway, we're at 200 something. So basically every 15 days. Um, and you know, this year is going to, going to suck because, you know, we're not entering about a bunch of awards, right? We got other shit to deal with this year. Um, and so, you know, there are periods and there are years that not as many happen, but like anything, you have to be diligent about doing the things that produce good, profitable growth, and then doing the things that get you visibility for Mm doing the things that (laughs) deliver growth and you can't lay off one or the other. Like if you just get so busy doing it, you will lose your visibility. You will lose some of that it factor that can help you draw talent into your organization. You will lose the it factor that will help draw, draw clients to you. Mm, I love that. So I hear two things. I hear one excellence, like Mm -hmm. that you guys are setting the kind of targets that, require excellence to deliver on which should result in awards in a sense, right? Like yeah, it should be should, no, yeah. <laughs> the note, the, the, the value should be noteworthy. Correct. But then you're also saying once you do that work, you guys are actually prioritizing, making sure you capture it in some way. Yes. Making sure that that actually can be a snowball effect yep. versus no one ever heard about it. No one, it didn't lead to any more business. It didn't lead to yep. any, you know, growth in the market. That's the part I'm curious about. I think we get all, intuitively say okay let's make sure we have audacious goals let's make sure that we are giving you know five-star experiences uh what what advice could you could you give us about making sure you really capitalize on when you do have a success serving a say it's say it's serving a single client or that year you had a big success on a project like what are some, some ways we should be thinking about like making sure that that we get as much out of that win as possible in a um and i don't mean that in a weird you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, in a no, way that's, that's I, intelligent. I think it's it's very in keeping with who we are because we are visible and some of us are loud uh, and we uh, produce, you know, we write, we talk, we're talky, but we're not arrogant, right? Yeah. We, we understand there is inherent value in the things we do and we're proud of that, but there's a difference between being proud and being obnoxious. Um, I think the best way or among the best ways is to make sure that not just you or a few key people understand the win, right? Because mm. I think very often, let's, let's for example, let's say the first time we made it onto the Inc. 5000 list, I knew what that meant. 
but I didn't think anybody else knew what it meant. They didn't even know the difference between, you know, what's an Inc. 5000 list and what's the Fortune 500 and what, what does any of this mean, right? And so we had a session on it, right? What is the Inc. 5000? How many people are on it and why? What does it mean? It means fastest growing company. What's the difference between these lists? When you're on, how many companies get on the list more than once? We've been on it three times, three years in a row. How many companies does that happen to? Right. Why does that matter? Why would that matter if you were talking to a friend that might want to work here? Why would that matter if you know you're talking to a client? And and so it's how you integrate the win into what it means for your story, how it creates credibility, and why other people should know about it. Right? What does it mean for them, not for you? Because right, that's where it gets out of yes. Ego. It's yep. not what's in it for me to have a little ink thing, but what does that mean? And so as an example, um, we, we do a lot of work with billion dollar plus companies, but, but we also have, have quite a um, set of experiences with, um, I've called them hyper growth or, or rapid growth, um, you know, uh, often the ink companies, but maybe private equity owned, right? So it's a $200 million company or a $50 million company that's gonna be 150 million in four years, you know, whatever it is. Um, and for those companies, we talk about the fact that we know what it is like to have aggressive, assertive growth as a goal, what it does to the dynamics of your organization, what it does to the challenges of constantly capturing more market share, what it does to, um, how far you need marketing to work for you. Mm. Um, and so we're always trying to draw parallels between either what recognitions, awards, or experience says about us, but how that then aligns with either their own challenges or where they're trying to go and how we've helped others get there. Um, yeah. so, you know, so for us, any of these awards, it's how do we bake that into our new business presentation? Um, you know, uh, again, it's, it's always looking for the ways to get mileage. So here's, here's an example. Uh, so we won, um, the Amy award for B2B integrate and Amy's are the, um, Atlanta American marketing associations annual award program. And, uh, so we won the business to business integrated campaign award this year. And they had us record speeches because we did a remote, uh, you know, virtual uh, award ceremony. So we got to record a little thing. And so I stopped for a minute to think about it. And I went, you know, I think we do really good in this category. And I looked back through and I went, wow, uh, we've been entering this for 12 years and we've won six of the 12 years. So we have a 50 percent <laughs> hit rate in it. Wow. So when I did my little 30 second speech, uh, I didn't say it's so exciting to win this award and we're very focused on being a part of the community. I said, it's really excited to be acknowledged for our sixth award in this category, which speaks to yeah. you know, the credibility. And it's a yeah. small thing, but it's intention. you know. And, and I think that's what leaders need to do is yeah. Connect the meaning of their experience and their accolades to mm. what they do. 
Yeah, I love this. This is more of like reflecting back, maybe not even a, a question, but something we can just continue to play off of. But it does sound like, hey, some of your genius that's coming out for our listener is you're looking to extract the story, right? And I'm almost imagining like the the untapped resources. Like that to me is, yeah. is interesting of like, oh, one, even with the awards is like, oh, that's something that companies could go after that they could easily overlook as, as a waste of time or whatever it may be. Yeah. But actually- not only are you getting it and then you get the award once, if you get it again, then you get to actually increase the mileage and the longevity. But yeah, I'm imagining as like, Hey, there's an oil well sitting inside your company already. And we need to extract that story, not create another one. Uh, I think that is, is really good, but then trying to connect it back to, and so what does that mean for your client or what does that mean for the audience you're trying to communicate? Let me just talk about it in terms of, internal business development. This is a real example. I'm not going to use the client name, but um, this has happened multiple times since we've been in business. And this has happened in the last year. We won an award. Uh, We reached out to the client and said, we have won this award and we wanted to do a press release on having won the award with you Uh, but we want you to release it, right? We'll write it on your behalf. And and this has happened in the past where clients said, we are so excited to have been acknowledged for this award and da-da-da-da-da. And so we wrote the press release and, you know, we got a quote from the client and they're a quote from us. And again, why, why they think it's mattering to their business, not it's cool that there's this shiny award on the wall at the agency, but- Right. This represented X to our business and it was great to be acknowledged for this great work. And so then they did internal promotion of that, right? The press release was picked up. The internal client is excited because they look like a hero. They send it around. And before you know it, we have two of the other internal contacts from other regions in the world that want to have a capabilities conversation with us because it's bubbled up in the organization. So it's not even a tool for well, it, it also is a tool for external biz dev and proving your credibility out there, but it can be mm. a wonderful validation of the spend. Like even think now where people are freaking out and cutting their budgets, right? If even if a client is not in the position of expanding their business with you, but you have so much credibility for the work that you do that it protects their spend with you, yep. right? Yep. Um, you know, and which again is something that we looked at in 2008 and 2009. It was not a, a time of plenty, right? Where it was like, woohoo, everybody's going to double in size uh, this year. It was more, thank God that client would never think of cutting us. You know, mm. they're, they're getting very creative and cutting a lot of things, but to them, we are essential. Man, so yeah, good. I really see it as like, figuring out, do I turn off my electricity today or do I turn off my water? Like yep. you're going to turn off the water, maybe never. Like that's the one you're trying to preserve. Yep. And I do, I'm like, how do you help somebody understand? Cause it's essentially even marketing too. They could look at a bunch of things and go, Oh, that's just electricity. We just need to turn that off. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you're turning off the water. Like you're going to, this is yep. not good for you to go without water for a bit. Like problems are only going to get worse. Uh, how would you help a business even pay attention to that? Maybe if they're that that growing business and they're trying to look at, at marketing dollars and they're going, gosh, we're spending a lot here and they're not sure about value. I mean, I think that's, that happens to do with maybe their personal decisions they've spent on marketing or the agencies that they're using, yeah. not helping them understand the value. But how would you help them make those, those yeah. decisions? Well, 
I, I will say this, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you use an agency or have an agency, right? So forget forget whether it's cutting an external spend or an internal spend. And there are some companies that do no marketing at all, right? They technically show up and participate in their industry and they have salespeople that beat the street and they really do nothing that would be considered marketing, right? But the, the beautiful thing about marketing is that there are so many things that can be considered marketing, right? It is a good name. It is how your people present themselves to the world. It's how visible and vocal they are independently and with your company name attached. Um, it is in the expressions and engagement of the executive team and how visible they are, um, you know, and, and you know, if, if they're connected to the community and how they give back, right? Marketing is so big, right? It is, it is a huge thing. It is you know, it includes communications, internal communications, how aligned are the people inside. And so, you know, I feel like when the economy goes into the shitter, everybody goes quiet, right? And not everybody, but I'm oversimplifying. It's the first instinct to stop talking so you can figure out what you should be saying so you can pivot. And there's a silence period, right? And, and sometimes it's just a three month silence but before you know it, it's a three-month silence, and then you tepidly say a few things, and then you're silent again because you're still thinking. And you know, and so you go through this period where you're not continuing to assert the things that you know are important and you would be saying anyway, right? That are sort of evergreen ideas. And and to me, yeah. companies should continue to talk about the evergreen ideas, independent of all this current stuff right whatever the stuff is whether um you know it, whether you're impacted by health whether you're impacted by a natural disaster whether you're impacted by um you know social unrest in your area um whether the impacts are affecting your people's ability to go to work or your customers ability to come to you there are still some underlying things that you have knowledge of and value that you need to keep Putting into the world um, to, you know, to kind of keep your visibility up. And you can do that without an agency. You can do it without a huge media spend. Again, it goes back to being very intentional about, you know, and, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways you could say on any given day, here's the amount of communication activity we have, right? You could say, we do five of these things. We do two of these. We do one of these. We do whatever. And maybe it's a time that it is appropriate to get a little bit quiet, but at no point are we going to get uh, are we going to get any quieter than this? There will be no less than three of these and two of these and one right. of these, or we will go no longer than one month without doing some of this. And knowing that we intend to keep connecting with the world because we're in it and we're still trying to sell and and deliver and and we employ people in it. Um, you know, what are the safest things to talk about so you don't lose visibility? Um, mm. that, that is what I just constantly see is the the fear of marketing because we don't know what the perfect thing is yeah. to say right now. Eh, you might not have an answer to this question, but do you have a, uh, you've used this word visibility a lot. And I really like it um, and familiar with it, but do you have a visibility model or something that you say, hey, this is what we're thinking about for an organization like hey if you want to think about your organization's visibility break it down like this mm -hmm. like what would that that's it may be oversimplistic and, and if it is then we can just leave it 
but is there anything in there where you're going, when I'm thinking visibility, here's, here's the model. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's okay, the map. So I, I think of it in, in two ways. There's the internal and the external part. Internally, um, do, do you, first of all, is your website worth a damn? Okay, because it's the one that's on 24 hours, right? And often people will have a blog or they'll have video or podcast or whatever pulled in. So there's an aspect of just being present where anybody at any time could see what you think, right? So, so the website goes without saying. But from a leadership and innovation standpoint, which is what growing companies need, it is, do you have thought leaders that you have positioned from your company? And mm -hmm. if it is only the CEO, then who are the other people that you are developing to be the future thought leaders? Um, if you are a mature market company that's been in business 50 years and all your thought leaders are 50, uh, how are you developing the next generation, right? Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we, there are different spectrums. Um, so, the, and then that thought leadership could be, they go give talks. It could be, they're very involved in the local university and they, you know, contribute to us being connected to a pipeline of future talent and giving back to from and sharing what they know. It could be publishing. Like I write for Forbes. Um, you know, it, it could be just, again, getting contributed content out there. And then the last category to me is paid advertising, right? I mean, because mm. that, especially younger people, right? Total distrust for paid yep. advertising, right? Mm -hmm. So it's contributed content to me where you, you want to be visible, whether it is for the personalities or for the thought leadership that those personalities bring. And then the second part, like one, you have to be able to say, you know, if, if you kind of look and go, our website sucks, we don't publish any papers, materials, or blogs, and none of our people have ever spoken, then you start there, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. And then there's another level, which is um, we publish random things, and we speak when we're asked, but we don't get in front of the right audience for our business, then you have to add the intention layer, right? We know how to write shit. We, okay. Yeah. You're talking <laughs> about us for yeah. some okay. of that. It's yeah. not hundred percent accurate, but it's at least close enough to sting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you go through that. We, we know how to put out a bunch of stuff and we can show up and talk, but we're not doing it in necessarily the right places or being, being given opportunity to contribute the right content about yeah. ourselves. Right. Yes. So that's like the next layer. And then, so those are fundamental things you should be doing regardless of what's going on outside your four walls in the world, right? Every company that's trying to develop growth and have, have a religion or have a set of, you know, pillars or principles or any of that, you need to do those things. And then outside of that, if it's enough, you have to look at who are the people that we compete against, right? And you have to look at what's happening amidst our competitors. And, you know, if you are, um, and, and be realistic about that. So I, I will just say, you know, if, if your competition um, has a podcast that is uh, in the top 50 on iTunes and uh, they're a paid speaker and they do a major conference every year and they've written five books, um, you know, you're, 
it's hard, right? So, so you have to have a different strategy, right? You're probably not going to out, out sophisticate that particular individual, right? So you, so you need to look for different hooks there. Um, but the other thing is being realistic about who your competition is. And I go back to, in my very beginning of my career, I worked in um, technology and I worked with a lot of some startup companies and you know we would say, tell us who your competitors are. And they would say, um, our competitors include um, Microsoft. And we would say, no, your competitors do not include Microsoft because I can guarantee you Microsoft does not consider Talking you. about you. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and people buying them. And so I think that's the other thing. You're not trying yeah. to model your communication, your marketing, your thought leadership on those companies. You are doing it in the sphere that you're truly competing. Mm. That's so good. Um, I kind of want to do something we've never done before, which yeah. is use ourselves as a little bit of a case study to get your your wisdom on. Are you cool with that? Sure. We've literally never done this with any of the founders and leaders we've had on this podcast, but it is so um, top of mind in the conversations we're having right now with our team uh, that we are a young team, a you know, Jordan and I are both 35, so in some ways, we are still young even in our careers, uh, but we've been doing this for a while, but just in the last year or so, actually, Join Forces became a company instead of solo kind of practitioners out in the world. Yeah, right. So it's different. It's different running a business than just being a self-employed person, yep. and so we're having a serious conversation around marketing and all that kind of stuff, um, but that's why we started this podcast, you know, and taking more speaking engagements and those kinds of things, which we were very comfortable at and see that as a should be a competitive advantage for us in yeah. the future, right? Yeah. But it's also really unclear the ways to get there, like identifying the right places and then how do you get them to recognize you? Yep. And then it also feels like a shit show online yep. where everyone's trying to be an influencer and this, yep. mm -hmm. and I kind of pull back some like, well guys, I don't really want to just jump in and start saying stuff like everybody else, right? Yep. Um, so I'd just be curious, is there one thing at our stage of growth, kind of where we are and, that you would say, hey, here's one way I'd be thinking about it or one piece of advice as a young and growing company? Yeah, I think the number one thing, and again, this is a marketer talking. That's why I'm asking you. You know who you want to buy your services and you want to know what they listen to, right? Mm. You don't want to know. So here's a good example. Uh, there are many networking organizations you can go be a part of, right? If you go and you are targeting a billion dollar company, but no one in a billion dollar company is going to go out for a lunch or go and participate with this particular right. organization, then that is wasted time, right? And so similarly, whether it is blogs or podcasts, it is not a competition about how many streams and downloads can you get. You really want to know who or, or who do the people that we are trying to sell to listen to, yeah. right? And then you kind of benchmark yourself against that. And, and I'm not saying there aren't going to be these, uh, oh, and I'm giving you a warning. I'm having a, a battery uh, uh, indicator come up, so I'm going to uh, get somebody to bring me a power cord. But, um, you know, you really have to look at... Uh, who should be listening and where can you get them? You know, and again, one of those things, just because somebody else, uh, you know, 
does a podcast and has everybody in the world subscribe to it doesn't mean they listen to it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, just because everybody listens to something, it doesn't mean they share it, right? Which ones get shared and why? Uh, just because somebody shares a podcast, it doesn't mean they ultimately end up engaging the professionals for something. Mm-hmm. Who actually engages the professionals from that? You know, and so it does right. take some research to poke around. Uh, you know, it could be, uh, you know, you do some market research with your target customers and you ask them, what is useful to you in a podcast? You know, when was the last time you went to hear a speaker? Why? Why did you go to hear that speaker? What was the subject matter or why was that person compelling? And then you find that out and then that helps you model what those opportunities would look like. For sure. Man, thank you for indulging us uh, in that great wisdom. I was just sitting there looking at all the awards, thinking about all the marketing conversations we're having. I'm like, hey, this is our yeah. this is our platform. I should might as well might as well just take a crack. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much for that. All right, we've already taken uh, so much of your valuable time. It's been amazing. I want to go ahead and transition to our lightning round questions for you. Yep. yep. And, um, yes. I'm curious to hear about these lightning round. Child's crying in the background. Sorry, podcast listeners. Got gotcha. you. Um, they all have child's children crying in the background too. Exactly yeah, you're right. Yeah. Twenty twenty. Uh, number one. Number one. Uh, if you could ingrain one message into an organization, what would it be? I feel that, especially right now, where everybody's uh, inner "be safe, be cautious" uh, comes out, that their instinct is is the same in all of business: spend as little as possible, do only the safe things, and I think. To me, the future never comes out of doing the guaranteed safe things. It comes out of taking risks and trying the unknown. And so while we're all being as safe as possible, we need to build in some space for continuing to take risks because that's where growth comes from. So good. That's it. Be safe, be risky. I like it. That's (laughs) that's cool. Uh, Number two, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business or growing a business? And what about the worst? Yeah. Uh, So to me, uh, and this is sort of in the model of Michael Gerber's E-Myth revisited thing. Um, But to me, it's make sure the customer is buying the firm and not you. Uh, And it is easier said than done. And it continues to be easier said than done as you scale. Um, But it is important that they see the organization's capabilities and value proposition as the organization's and not yours personally or you will not be able to scale the organization yeah so good uh what about the worst uh the worst one was uh get out of the agency business you'll never be profitable um and um (laughs) i think that if you are passionate about what you do you need to just keep working till you find a way to be profitable doing it because the the alternative, which is go find these profitable businesses that you could give a crap about, is is not the way to, not a way to be a passionate, growth-oriented person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number three, being completely honest, what's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? Secret fear. Um, I think I have a couple of thoughts on the secret fear. So the, the real secret fear is that as a company grows and is something outside of you, right? And it it is growing uh, and expanding. 
My personal fear is that the company gains its reputation and its competency and its growth opportunity in an area that is of less interest to me. Because as a leader, you have to stay aligned and excited about the core competency. And I say that because I worked as president of another company that had a core company that I could not stay passionate about. It's why I started Moto, because I could not carry the company line and wave the flag with authenticity and passion and, you know, be willing to do it 80 hours a week. Uh, And so I haven't gotten to that point yet, but it's something I'm always cautious about because it is an organization outside of yourself and you have to find your pockets of interest and passion, you know, as, as it changes and as it grows. Yeah. I really, I really like a few of those things you said. That's really good. Uh, Number four, what's the dream result that you're driving towards every day? I really am about sustainable, right? Sustainability. Uh, And so to me, and that sounds stupid, but everything is long-term, right? I want the long-term relationships with a client. Mm -hmm. I want the long-term relationships with uh, the people that are on the team. And I want to do it for as long as possible. And and to me, it is about divorcing short-term thinking. We'll take this client, but only because they can get us from here to there. Well, we could hire that person because we have this immediate need, but I don't know how we'd use them. Yes. Uh, you know, we could take this on, but it's not going to be profitable long term, but it might be a shot in the arm. And the, forget all that short term stuff. It's always the long game. And and something important to remember now when the world is so strange is um, the you, you, you have to put up with things in the short term to, to get to the long term. You know, you, you have to keep at it. That's so good. Yeah, that is, that is really good. Uh, there's a few bombs. The, the obligation to be candid and uh, divorcing short-term thinking, those are like, I've, I've already got those written down, highlighted. That's just awesome. Uh, number five, final question here. If you could hop in a DeLorean, you get to go back for five seconds to your past. You're going to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window, when would you go back and what would you say? Mm. To me, uh, I would go back, I would go back to yesterday, honestly. Um, and, and you know, I would go back to, to yesterday if I were, you know, because I've gotten asked this question, right, over the years, right? When you're, when you're 40, you're talking to your 30-year-old you. When you're 30, you're talking to your 20-year-old you. I feel as you grow in business, the piece of advice that you have to give yourself every day is, I am completely qualified to do this mm. and to take these risks that I am taking. And I, you know, something I've I've done a lot of conversations with students, with young women professionals, with, uh, you know, all sorts, you know, every every kind of group of people. And so much of it is dealing with imposter syndrome, right? The, I haven't done it before, so I'm not qualified, or I haven't done it before in this industry, so I'm not qualified, or I haven't, uh, I've done, I've been doing it for a long time, but I don't have a degree in it. Or I've been doing it for a long time, but never with these kinds of people uh, holding me to these kinds of expectations, right? All that stuff is crap and you can let it just clog the filter or you can put it all aside and just feel 
wholly credible to give it your best each day. And I wish I had been there at each point I got to my next sort of stage of imposter syndrome because I think, you know, I, I talked earlier on about that maturity curve that you're on when you realize, yeah. oh, I'm a grown up now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm a grown up and I'm a, a qualified professional. Oh, I'm a grown up, a qualified professional, and now I'm a manager. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm a manager and now I'm a leader. I'm a leader and my company is successful and has been acknowledged, right? And at each of those steps, you you kind of wallow for a while because you're yeah. afraid to go to the next thing or you don't believe you've been proven to be worthy of the next thing. And I think the more people can just say, oh, all that is is just noise keeping me from performing in flow and going at this hard. I'm, that's that's good. I'm so glad you brought Longer that up. Five seconds. But it's I good. <laughs> five seconds. You told no. everyone. Hey, long-winded sometimes. It's all good. That's right. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. So the, the five-second version is go back and tell yourself every single day you're qualified to yeah. do this. Yeah. Now, when you first started saying you'd go back to yesterday, I thought it was to give yourself a heads up that you're about to meet two of your new best friends. Exactly. But I'll take that answer as well. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm glad you said it because we geeked out so much on your wisdom on business and yeah. on marketing that we didn't really get to that uh, as much of that personal human size we typically do. But yeah. that right there is enough. Like yeah. just, just um, I remember the first time I heard the idea of the imposter syndrome yeah. and I heard who and how many people experienced that. Yeah. It completely shifted my internal paradigm and yeah. started to at least threaten my own imposter syndrome. Yeah. You go, oh, this is just kind of a psychological trick that happens, you know? Yeah. Yep. And if they feel that, like, well, then maybe there's good reason for me not to feel that way yep. and to move through it. So I'm sure people listening to this right now, after hearing your interview, knowing that you even need that encouragement with all yep. the success you've had, uh, yep. could do a lot for them and their confidence. So that's amazing. Yep. Thank you. Yep. And I think what's relevant to people right now, too, is, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, you, you may have a question about this. I know we're kind of at time, but, you know, my piece of advice to any high growth person or anybody finding themselves, you know, in, in the current business economy is forget what business you thought you were in in January, right? We, we are yeah. at a point in the world where things have changed so dramatically, right? For some industries and some connected industries, they've changed forever, right? Yeah. For yeah. some, they have changed markedly and will be that way for some time. So, everybody who was in the process of creating or inventing a business who was all excited because we finally finished inventing it, you know, just get, put your invention pants back on and get your napkin back out because it really has to already be something radically different than it was in Q1. Wow. So true. We've seen it for our business. We're seeing it for the clients we're helping. You're yeah. in the rare few if you're able to stick to the, stick to your plans right now without, yeah some moderate to major pivot, right? Yep. So, wow. So good. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Seriously, this has been an honor. Uh, you are a local legend in the Atlanta area and the marketing world. And we're, we've just claimed so much wisdom from this podcast. I'm sure our listeners have too. So thank you again, Maura, for being with us today. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I wish everybody all the best and continued great success. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Okay, friends. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Head to zero5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-5000.com.